I'm Jason Mitchell, sustainability strategist for Man Group. You're listening to Perspectives Towards a Sustainable Future, a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. If you listen to this podcast enough, you've probably heard me allude to policy agendas like the UN Sustainability Development Goals and the Paris Agreement pretty frequently. Frameworks like these are vital because the notion of sustainability for all our progress, is still incredibly abstract and open for interpretation. They also allow us to formally and collectively address and measure issues like climate change. But while these frameworks need to be specific, they also need to be adaptable. Not only must they reflect long-term policy objectives, but also near-term policy pressures and the realities of the current social and economic climate. Policies around clean energy, for example, illustrate the conflict between future policy objectives and the near-term social dislocations. Just consider the clash between coal and clean energy. While long-term policy objectives favor a future full of clean energy, it would be irresponsible not to consider the near-term social and labor costs that future potentially brings. Which is why the just transition is so significant. Developed by trade unions in the 1990s, the Just Transition provides a framework that combines climate change, social and labor objectives to create a more sustainable, climate-resilient economy and a more equal society. But how do we get there? Do we need to rethink how sustainability fits in the financial system? How can we improve upon the Just Transition's legacy to address the current realities of rising inequality and climate risk? To answer these questions, I sat down with Nick Robbins. Nick is Professor in Practice for Sustainable Finance at the Grantham Research Institute at the London School of Economics. He co-directed the UN Environment's inquiry into the design of a sustainable financial system after leaving HSBC, where he was head of the Climate Change Center of Excellence. Welcome to the show, Nick. It's Thanks. great to have you here. <laughs> Thanks very much, Jason. Look, to start out, I mean, could you give us some background about what brought you to the UNEP and perhaps some of the initiatives that you've been working on? Yeah, surely. I think what is interesting about this uh, inquiry, as, as you say, was we were trying to look at where does sustainability fit in the overall financial system. So not, not just what it means for a different bank or a pension fund or so on. And this was very much inspired by uh, the financial crisis, where I think we saw the financial system was less resilient than we thought, that it was less in service of the real economy than we thought. And there were many, uh, let's say, market failures and policy failures within the financial system, which we hadn't fully uh, appreciated. And at HSBC, I was, I was looking at climate change all the time, thinking about what this meant for clients and so on. And, and at the same time, HSBC was going through this process of re-regulation, going through Basel III and so on. And it struck me more and more and more that we hadn't really thought through how does core financial regulation in banking or markets or insurance and so on, how does that relate to the quest for sustainability and climate change? And uh, by coincidence, those were questions that UNEP was thinking at the same time. Uh, And so we've gone through and actually looked in 20 different countries what does sustainability mean for the architect of the financial system? Uh, China then picked that up and put that into the context of the G20, into the finance track where finance ministers and central banks. Uh, and we've brought together, for example, a coalition of insurance supervisors who are now going through and saying, what does climate risk mean for their day job of making sure that insurance companies are, are safe and sound for their customers? Mm. 
And so talk about maybe your latest project around the just transition. Yeah, so I, I think often we have major moments in the uh, development of, of sustainability. Uh, and certainly I saw one before with the financial crisis. Many people before that had been thinking about climate change and climate risk. But I think until we saw the financial crisis, we couldn't really understand climate change as a systemic issue, issues of the carbon bubble and, and, and so on and so forth. And certainly uh, the just transition, how do we ensure that as we move to as carbon economy, uh, it actually leads to uh, social improvement and helps to reduce inequality. This issue has been around for many years, advocated by trade unions and community groups. But again, I think perhaps until uh, the Trump administration, until the Brexit vote and many other um, uh, political sort of signals around the world, I think probably we in the climate community had not really been taken seriously enough uh, issues uh, around uh, social dislocations through industrial change and potentially what that meant through the, uh, the, the, the climate transition, which needs to be accelerated and broadened in, in the next few years. So that's, that's why I think now is the time uh, for not just uh, the labour movement, also policymakers, businesses and indeed investors to really think how they uh, develop a sort of strong a social dimension to their climate strategies. Got it. I, I want to zoom out for a little bit for one second. I mean, when I think about the just transitions, the, the, the advent of it, you know, it came out in what, the late 1990s. It was, uh, you know, a movement around, I mean, particularly the trade unions, workers' rights, uh, and the linkage to the environment, not necessarily climate change, but the environment specifically. Um, do you think it's you know, what worked then and what didn't work and now sort of embracing this uh, more around the climate change and these sort of bigger societal issues like inequality, why is it more relevant now and what can you add now relative to you know, almost 20 years ago? Well, I think there are a number of things. Firstly, we have now the, the Paris Agreement. Um, and so the Paris Agreement does not just sort of set the targets in terms of where we want to get to, in terms of uh, keeping uh, global warming well below uh, 2 degrees and hopefully 1.5 degrees Celsius. But it also has a number of, of uh, sort of key recommendations and key requirements in terms of how we get there. So uh, the just transition was in the Paris Agreement. Again, we now have businesses and investors who are committed to the implementation of that. And that, that I think, uh, makes uh, the difference. Um, and I think also we, we have a, a wider sense of, um, with issues around, I think, the future work, that we are in a time of great turmoil about, uh, about work. And so, in a sense, I think you can see the climate transition, particularly if you see it through its lens of solar and smart and digitization, in many ways as part of this broader fourth industrial revolution uh, track, which means, again, people are much more open to think more strategically about the, the future of work. And so it's broadened out from that uh, initial work, which remains, I think, I would say the core uh, from the trade union movement. It's interesting. I mean, one of the things that I think that is very additive um, from a market's perspective when looking at climate change has been a focus on stranded assets, on, uh, on the cost efficiency of, of wind, of solar, and what that means for fossil fuels. Um, and so we've been thinking over the past decade about where are the uh, stranded assets? Those have uh, become much clearer uh, you know, following some policy changes, uh, specifically in Germany, around uh, 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 the move towards renewable. But now 
it looks like you're thinking more in the context of what does it mean for stranded communities or um, uh, sort of uh, stranded workers. Can you touch on that for a second? No, exactly right. And I think, obviously, um, there is a a question of a sort of threat-based narrative here. So stranded assets, again, that I think connects very strongly with with investors around uh, climate risk. But I think we can see... Um, that uh, where we've had poorly managed industrial transitions in the past, uh, in, in, in many parts, let's say, of the industrial world, that these do lead to structural problems, particularly in, in areas of sort of high concentration of, of industry, um, and, and those can be quite chronic. And so learning from history, we don't want to see that uh, repeated in, in the climate transition, um, one, because I think that could have damaging economic impacts, if you're looking at that from an, from an investor point of view. Clearly, there are the social consequences. And indeed, uh, if we can't show that this transition does lead to people feeling better off and, and secure, then we could see uh, block blockages and, 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 uh, and doubts about the, the validity of the transition, which only stores up more problem in terms of the damage we're going to see uh, in the years ahead. Would you say that just transition is principally climate change driven and now sort of looking at uh, the intersectional kind of effects on inequality or, or communities or is it or is it more sort of worker rights uh, uh, labor driven? Well, I think it is that, that combination, isn't it? And it is that sort of compound of, of the, the transition is primarily seen, I think, in terms of climate change and energy. But we shouldn't forget other parts of the climate transition, let's say particularly the agricultural and forestry sector, which, of course, have very, very serious sort of uh, social issues attached. And then there's this question of the just. What do we mean there? This is a, one of these big, long-standing philosophical concepts which people have argued over for thousands of years. And I think in this context, we can probably see it in, in, in two ways. One is a, a, a question of process. As we think about this, this transition, which will take place over many decades, is the process sort of fair, inclusive, and people are, are able to express their views and, and get involved? Um, and then the second is actually the outcomes. Are, can we actually look at the outcomes in terms of, obviously, the transi- transition leads to less emissions, ramping up uh, clean energy alternatives, but also outcomes in terms of, hopefully, uh, positive impact on, on jobs, the quality of jobs, and uh, community health. So that's a, it's a great uh, point. I mean, the, the space responsible investment has always been hindered uh, by the fact that, you know, there's a certain degree of uh, moral or eth- ethical relativism in terms of how you define and parse these terms, responsible, uh, just. It brings into mind social justice, which, uh, you know, in one sense is a social construction, but, you know, there are many different definitions. When you think of just, is there yet a universal uh, secular or generic definition that that, um, you identify with? I'm also not really focusing on so much the definition, but maybe some of the sort of the components, let's say, of what would make what would make for a sort of a uh, an effective just transition. So you could think about we need to look ahead. We need The first would be to anticipate. We need to start thinking about these things. This is a long-term transition. We're talking about 2050. So, so actually, let's, let's, let's think ahead. Let's not have nasty surprises. That's, that's one thing. And one of the things we're exploring in the London School of Economics is, is a form of what we're calling 
transition exposure analysis? Can we actually identify sort of key indicators uh, at maybe at a regional level in terms of emissions, in terms of industrial structure, maybe issues such as um, unemployment skills um, and questions even of sort of fuel poverty, housing stock and so on, which enable people to actually start realising where some of the key issues are. So that's firstly the, the anticipate uh, issue. Then there is this question of, of, of dialogue, both in the workplace and in the community, uh, to make sure that people are aware of these things and their voices uh, are, are heard. We have skills. I mean, one of the things that is interesting from looking at the whole process of climate disclosure, we have a huge advance there through this FSB task force on climate-related disclosures. But strangely, interestingly, one of the things that is that is that is very um, light in that disclosure recommendation is actually how companies should be disclosing on their human resource management. What does this mean for their people? What does this mean for their skills and so on? And, and we, we've heard the chairman and women of, of companies talking about our people being our greatest resource. But on climate change, actually, we, 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 we need to do some homework in terms of thinking about that before we even start thinking about what that might mean for restructuring and, and, uh, and so on. So that's, I suppose, uh, the third piece is, is, is the skills. Then, clearly, there's a question of sort of protection, uh, both of, of communities and in terms of, of, of workers. Pensions, that is an ever-present issue in terms of when we see uh, companies in trouble or going under, and that could be, again, we need to make sure we have good practice there. And finally, I think maybe the more positive side is the, sort of the, the regeneration. How do we think about uh, channeling investment, public, but also private capital, um, to ensure we have thriving, in a sense, post carbon economies, um, particularly in places of, of, of high uh, social economic need. And that's where I see we could help to sort of bridge perhaps the impact investing community on one side, looking for social impact, and the climate sort of finance and the climate investing community looking at, at the transition. I think there's some very interesting uh, dynamics between the two there. Can you point to some examples of communities that have been able to sort of uh, navigate this transition? Um, across all the points that you've made? Well, that's one of the things we're, we're looking at in, in our, our program uh, at, the, at, the, at the LSE. So particularly the work we're doing uh, on investing in a, in a, in a just transition. Uh, it's, a, it's a program uh, being jointly led with the, uh, the Grantham Institute at, at, at LSE and also the Initiative on Responsible Investment at Harvard. Um, and, and in a sense, that's what we're, we're trying to look. Firstly is actually... The, the case for investor action, and then looking at, at guidance based on um, practice that is emerging from the community level in terms of, uh, of what works, and also where investors can play a, a credible and, and useful role. Yeah, I can imagine that it's very community-driven. I can imagine that it's uh, very local-driven. But do you find a lot of evidence of these kinds of policies, maybe in formation or maybe precedence, um, at the national level? Well, I think, again, that's, 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 that's starting, I think, and maybe just talking about here in the UK. Um, uh, the, the current government has launched an, an industrial strategy, and that's a, a sort of new thing, I think. Uh, it's a centre-right uh, government, but recognising that actually needs an industrial strategy to ensure that growth and prosperity is, is spread uh, across the economy. A key part of that is what they call the clean growth uh, plan. Now, that's no longer seen just as a climate change abatement strategy, but it's clean growth. It's trying to see how the transition leads to uh, export opportunities, new innovations, job opportunities, and so on. And a core part of this is saying, what does it mean for place? 
What does clean growth mean for place? How do we attract uh, private capital to, uh, to places to drive green jobs and, and so on? So I think that's a, a clear example here in the UK. And then actually uh, one key part of the UK, Scotland, uh, the government has just set up a just transition commission, recognising that there are sort of key parts of uh, of the economy, perhaps North Sea uh, gas, which is oil and gas, which is affected by this. But also, on the other hand, there are there are gr- great growth opportunities in terms of renewables in Scotland, which again could uh, could generate real sort of social value. Where would you say, though, when when you think about the framework approach that you're taking, um, what are the areas that are strongest versus weakest? And I mean, um, we've already seen. I mean, there are existing very strong frameworks uh, on the climate change side. We have markets uh, sometimes weak, but nevertheless, there are markets. Uh, we have a price for carbon. Um, you know, potentially we might have a, uh, a carbon tax or a, you know, a gas tax in the future out of the U.S. Um, when you think about the other side of the equation, the labor rights, the, uh, the issue of inequality, particularly for institutional investors, it's been uh, sort of a, a in need of some kind of framework, uh, it feels like we're lacking there. And in fact, it was an issue that uh, uh, that w- one podcast with with David Wood from the RRI had brought up. I know he's working on it. But how do you see uh, the fra- the existing framework on climate change now coming together with you know perhaps not a fully formed you know framework in in the social dimension? Well, I think I think you've hit on a, a really tough issue. I mean, this is still being worked through. And one of the things that has come through, say, in the European context, uh, a recent uh, high-level expert group has uh, delivered a report on sustainable finance. And like many of these exercises, they have uh, identified the question of the time horizon, short-termism, long-term, and so on. But also pinpointed that actually there's this other dimension now, which is the spatial dimension. In a sense, the, the maybe the disconnect between... Uh, uh, sort of the financial centres, which have the sort of supply and the ex- of capital and the expertise and so on, and let's say the real economy, the regions, whether rural or industrial and so on, and how can we uh, bridge that uh, bridge that dis- disconnect? Um, and so I think there is a, a growing uh, awareness around that. One tool I think is in the financial arena, which is potentially of relevance for investors, is the role of. Um, public investment banks, whether they be um, uh, sort of standard investment banks like European Investment Bank or KFW, or in the US, growing numbers of green banks, because again, they have they are often being deployed to help manage transitions, uh, and clearly they can pull in private capital, notably from banks, but also through the green bond markets that they enable uh, investors also to participate in, in in that process. So I think probably look at some of the um, the, the development banks and the national development banks as for, for, for expertise. And then the, the key issue, and I think is something we're hoping to do over the next year, is starting to identify a clear and straightforward structure which builds on existing uh, frameworks that investors use and shows how they can add a social dimension to their climate strategies. And there we're working with the um, Global Climate Action 100 program, who, are, who actually are reaching out to the biggest companies to engage. And this uh, social dimension will be one theme to consider. So as companies are going through the process of doing two-degree scenarios, can we start thinking about what, what those scenarios and this would, be, would mean for, for workforces, for skills, for, for communities, and so on? You brought up the HLEG, the High Level Expert Group, um, the EU initiative um, to 
rethink fiduciary duty, responsible investment. Uh, I mean, it's been interesting to see over the past couple of years and actually look forward over the next one to two years. Um, development on that side, the expansion and the definition of, of risk um, outside of just economic, financial, and political to, to, to be not financial risks, i.e. Uh, environmental and social risks, the expansion of fiduciary duty. Suddenly this responsibility, if you're a trustee, if you're a manager, to be able to articulately and thoughtfully explain your exposure, um, whether to ESG risks or, you know, systemic risks like climate change. You know, within all of that, uh, that change, I mean, we've seen the Department of Labor in the U.S., you know, make moves. We've certainly seen France make moves, now the EU and the U.K. through the task force. Where do you think the just transition, you know, as a policy item or a policy objective, where do you think that sits in that picture? I think it's one which is just coming onto the agenda. Um, and I think what is interesting, let's say, about let's take the EU um, high-level expert group as an example, I think what it did very well is it sort of consolidated a number of issues which have been around for a while, the fiduciary duty. Um, it actually sort of responded to really sort of felt market needs. So introducing a taxonomy, a common taxonomy for what is green, what is sustainable. Um, then sort of focused on actually some real gaps in the market. So there was a focus particularly on a sustainable infrastructure uh, mechanism to build up capacity, particularly, again, in local communities. And it flagged that sustainable finance is not just climate risk, but also has this social dimension. So I would say it is one that is being flagged now, and it's one which I think is going to be deepened. It's, it's, it's at a relatively early stage um, but certainly the investors I talk to recognize that this is something they need to get their heads around. Are there certain areas, I'm thinking countries, where this just transition it sort of lends to uh, the way things are planned out? Specifically, I'm thinking about China and, and central planning and the fact that you have these five-year plans and there is this acute uh, alignment between social goals and climate change, um, either uh, dealing with climate change issues there or seeing it as a as an industrial strategy um, to export yeah no i think i think i think that's interesting so i think i think certainly in terms of uh where good practice seems to be emerging i'd probably cite um canada um where where there's some sort of interesting work that's been done coming out of the the labor movement uh, also some of the, the investor groups are working on this and indeed the government has teamed up with the world bank uh, on an initiative on the just transition in an international sense but i think your point is is is, is a profound one because I think up until now, when we've been thinking about the just transition, we have been seeing it largely in a sort of Western industrial context. But if we think about where the location of most of the high-carbon jobs are in the world, they're no longer in the Western world. They are in China, in India, in South Africa, uh, in Indonesia, and, and so on. And, and that means that actually we need to think through what does this process mean there? Um, as you say, very different uh, economic regimes, uh, planning and state-led in, in, in China, uh, and, and so on. And 
in a sense very in many places much less of a of a of a of a safety net so that's where i think if we're we're looking ahead where the just transition agenda really needs to be thinking through very 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 carefully how do you reconcile it with a place like i mean frankly the united states where you know even with uh, david wood uh, in, in series 1 you know this issue of populism tends to be a reaction against inequality and what we've gotten in president trump is you know arguably a much more unequal society uh, from a tax perspective. Um, certainly there's been a, a focus on jobs, but then what kind of jobs is he focused on? I mean, coal jobs, right? Uh, not necessarily clean energy jobs. How do, you, how do you sort of reconcile, you know, what's happening in the U.S. with, you know, how other countries, the world, you know, uh, frankly, is, is accepting or dealing with uh, the just transition? I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a very powerful case, and I think it's, uh, to use a sort of... Um, uh, a phrase that came out of actually the Brexit experience here in the UK, in a sense, aggregate GDP doesn't matter anymore. Um, that aggregate GDP doesn't matter. It's about the, the prosperity that is felt by different communities. So although in, in the US you could point to the fact that uh, renewables jobs are now outstripping coal, that's an aggregate figure. It doesn't necessarily um, impact on the, the felt experience of, of coal-dependent and other industrial uh, regions. So it's, it's a wake-up call, and I think it's a, a signal uh, to those who want to accelerate uh, climate action that actually this sort of social dimension is important, not in a, uh, in, in a, um, uh, a purely presentational sense, but in a real sense that um, we need to make sure that it actually uh, responds to often justified concerns of people about their futures, uh, about what it means for their jobs, what it means for their communities and their children and so on. Um, and that is, a, that is something that perhaps hasn't been given enough, enough attention to. My experience, but it will be working with uh, the team, with David, David Wood at uh, IRI in, in Harvard, is that, again, there's, there's very strong uh, bottom-up activity in the U.S., uh, community level and maybe state level, uh, and that's something we want to we want to learn from and, and maybe see what that what implications that might have on, on the federal level. We're doing a similar process uh, in, uh, in here, here in the Euro- in the European Union. Uh, again, looking at community, national, but also potentially what that means for uh, overall uh, EU policy. Uh, and in the EU's case, what is interesting is alongside the high-level expert group on sustainable finance on financial regulation, the EU has also introduced two new programs on uh, on essentially the just transition, focusing on the phrase of sort of no region left behind. So again, that's more of a, I suppose, traditional European approach in terms of um, regional funding and so on, but is again recognising that this is now uh, an urgent issue to, to, to respond to. Mm. What are the other interesting issues within responsible investment that I've seen has been uh, maybe a, a gravitation more towards uh, frameworks that are grounded in material objectives? And I'm thinking about the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the uh, 17 SDGs. I'm thinking about um, initiatives like Climate Action uh, 100 rather than these sort of norm heavy you know, kind of uh, uh, lacking objective um, uh, approaches that haven't, that, that where, where markets, investors, people have sort of struggled to, to really uh, measure the outcomes and measure the progress. Um, I mean, it feels like the SDGs 
lend themselves incredibly well to the just transit, uh, the tra- uh, just transition in a number of ways. Can you talk about that? I, I think you're right, and, and I think we started this conversation by, in a sense, looking at the just transition through the lens primarily of, of, of climate change. But in a sense, if you look at those 17 SDGs, they provide a very, very interesting sort of uh, interlocking framework for looking uh, at the just transition. If I might so sort of pick out uh, five of those, which if you put together, spell just transition. You have number seven, uh, affordable uh, and, uh, and clean uh, energy, efficient energy. Uh, you put that together with the next one, SDG 8, on decent work and economic growth. So that's the, the, there's a workplace dimension. You then have reduced inequality. So how does your drive for clean energy uh, in the workplace help drive those uh, macro-level inequalities? You then have sustainable cities and communities, number 11, SDG num- number 11, sort of looking more broadly, looking outside of the workplace to, to the sort of the place-based agenda. And then you have number 13, climate action. So in a sense, I think what, for me, the just transition helps is show that we shouldn't see the SDG list as a sort of shopping list and say, pick your favourite individual ones, but actually look at the connections between the two, uh, between a number, a bundle, and that's just sort of five. That bundle of five SDGs is a very interesting uh, framework. And it also perhaps helps us who've been working in the practice of sustainability and living through this environment, environmental, social and governance uh, trinity to recognise these aren't silos, that actually there are social dimensions to environmental issues and actually you can use governance tools to address those social dimensions of, of environmental issues. And that's essentially what the, the Just Transition is all about. Do you imagine this over the next couple of years to sort of expand to include other SDGs? I mean, health obviously is highly linked to something like inequality. Well, no, I think that's a, that's a, that's a very, very interesting point. And, and, and again, what is really interesting is if we really reflect on the the broader set of of damages created by the burning of fossil fuels, um, and one of them being air pollution. 18,000 people a day die prematurely because of air pollution in 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 the world. One million people a year in India and China each die prematurely because of air pollution. So again, that's why this transition is so entirely positive, because you have healthier people, uh, um, maybe stronger communities, resilient to, to, to shocks, potential for new jobs, uh, and so on. So I think, again, we've often been at our weakest where we are sort of single issue. But if you pull those, those, those pieces together, then I think you have a very strong and powerful agenda. So looking forward over the next one to two years, what can we expect in terms of... of this framework making its debut, maybe a, a draft at some point. So yeah, so we're we're just just starting out. As, as I say, um, uh, Grantham Institute at LSE and uh, Erie at, uh, at Harvard, working in partnership with PRI and uh, the ITUC. Um, it's a research-led process, so we actually want to look at the analytics in terms of why investors should be thinking about this, what are some of the those sort of quantitative reasons uh, and rationales for investors to think about it, and then pull together uh, guidance. Again, what we'd like to do is potentially look at uh, development of tools. Um, and, and as I say, one of the things uh, we're looking at at LSE is essentially a, a sort of transition exposure analysis and then a, an essentially a sort of capabilities analysis, which could help communities and regions actually start doing um, uh, transition planning, as it, as, as it were. Um, and that could feed into potential changes in, in overall national uh, policies. 
uh, and potentially also sort of fiscal strategies and, and so on. But we're very much uh, at, at, the, at, the, at the early stages. But uh, what I see certainly here in the UK is, is, is interest uh, from government, awareness from investors, um, and a, a really a desire to get down to practicalities. Great. Well, I'll be looking forward to it. So look, this has been fantastic. It's uh, been fascinating to hear about how your approach to a just transition can provide a framework to help investors address the social dimension around climate action. So I'd like to thank you for your time and views. Uh, I'm Jason Mitchell, sustainability strategist at Man Group, here today with Nick Robbins, co-director at the UNEP. Many thanks for joining us on Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, and I hope you'll join us on our next podcast episode. Thanks, Nick. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks so much, Jason. It's been great. You're listening to Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. I'm Jason Mitchell, sustainability strategist at Man Group. Thanks for joining us, and special thanks to everyone that helped produce this show. To check out more episodes of this podcast, please visit us at man.com forward slash responsible dash investment or look for us on iTunes.